This is the Less Doing Podcast with your host, Ari Mysel. Learn how to optimize, automate, and outsource and be more effective at everything. Welcome to The Art of Less Doing. Today I'm going to be speaking with uh, Dr. Michael Greger, who is the founder of NutritionFacts.org, which is a really great website if you haven't visited it, that puts out really interesting free information every day, videos, articles about health and nutrition. We're going to talk about a plant-based diet, frozen vegetables, and different cooking methods. And a lot of what you're going to hear may seem contrary to a lot of the things that you have heard from other people. So uh, I think that you'll find this really interesting. I'd like to point out that part of my journey in overcoming Crohn's was going completely vegetarian for about six months. And I actually had forgotten that Dr. Greger was the impetus for me doing that because my wife, Anna, who sort of led me on the path of better nutrition, had recently completed her yoga teacher training and had done a nutrition uh, certification and Dr. Greger had come and spoken to her group and this was about that time. So she introduced me to his work and it inspired me to consider, uh, at least at the time, going completely vegetarian before I then reintroduced some of the more uh, animal-based proteins that I do now. But anyway, let's get to the interview. It was a lot of fun talking to him, and I think that you're all going to really enjoy it. Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure, for the second time, due to a technical error, of speaking with Dr. Michael Greger, who is the founder of NutritionFacts.org. Hi, Dr. Greger. Hello. Happy to help out. Thank you so much. Now, uh, first of all, I want to point out that if you can hear in the background, Dr. Greger is currently walking on a treadmill, right? Absolutely, all day, every day. So you have a treadmill desk, which is, uh, you know, there's people who, I, I think standing at your desk is great. I think being able to walk on a treadmill at your desk is even more amazing. So how many miles do you think you're able to do each day just walking? Well, yeah, I average about 17 miles a day, but it's only, you know, two and a half miles an hour. And I mean, I don't have like a, you know, you can buy fancy expensive desks. I just went to, a, you know, a local thrift store. Get treadmills, which have you know dime a dozen, just stuck it under a table with some plastic shelving on top to you know bring up uh, my monitor, and voila, I can uh, actually exercise um, without any detriment to my workflow. So I, I actually you know intended on focusing on nutrition, but you bring up a really important point, which I've spoken about before on my podcast, and that's an active lifestyle is. Uh, as good, if not better, in a lot of ways than structured exercise. Because, there, you know, I think there's this idea that you can uh, take not very good care of your body and then go to the gym for an hour and everything is okay. But that's really not the case. Whereas if you remain active and you sort of maintain this activity and you move like the body is meant to move, meaning, you know, running, walking, jumping, climbing, those kind of things, then you're really on a much better baseline, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. In fact, that's what the data clearly shows. We just weren't meant to, to sit for long periods of time. And so the studies showing increased uh, mortality rates, increased diabetes rates, et cetera, in those 
um, who uh, have uh, you know prolonged sitting every day. This was even after controlling for exercise levels. So even if people who that did after sitting all day go to the gym and work even an hour a day, um, like Institute of Medicine recommends, they still had elevated mortality um, compared to those that um, even that exercise left overall, but um, just, uh, you know, day in, day out weren't sitting all day. And we think it has to do with insulin sensitivity in the major muscles and the legs. We're not quite sure. But um, so that's why, you know, the kind of the standing desk, just your postural muscles just to keep you vertical is actually enough to um, to uh, um, uh, decrease uh, um, uh, uh, some of these chronic disease risks. But look, if you're going to be standing all day, you might as well uh, walk a little bit and, uh, and uh, burn out some energy. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's, it's wonderful. You know, the, the, the flip side of that is I notice that if I do sit, and I don't sit at my desk, but I notice that when I'm sitting for too long, my, my leg starts to kind of shake. I, I have to, like, move that energy out of me somehow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that your body's smart and telling you what it needs. That's great. And so instead of ignoring it, um, we've got to listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let, let's let's switch gears and talk about diet now. So, tell me, in your opinion, uh, what you think the the optimal diet is. Well, uh, I think the best available uh, balance of evidence uh, suggests that a whole food, plant based diet, a diet centered around whole plant food, is the healthiest. We only have about what you know, two thousand calories in the calorie bank every day, and so we can pack it with junk. We can pack it with you know, uh, you know, uh, calorically dense and nutrient dilute foods, or we could pack it in with as, you know, as much nutrition as possible. It's like, look, you have, uh, you know, anything you do for an hour, there's an opportunity cost. You, you know, uh, you you choose to do something. You're choosing not to do a lot of other things. Well, anytime you put anything in your stomach, uh, you know, there's uh, there's an opportunity cost, and that you could be putting something else in your stomach. Um, and just like the uh, just like the exercise, you, know, you can't just eat crappy and then all of a sudden you know, eat a salad and think that you've undone the damage. Um, we really do have to, at least on a kind of a day-to-day, regular basis, um, eat as many healthy foods as possible, and that will just kind of kind of push out by adding more whole, healthy plant foods to our diet, like fruits and vegetables. We just kind of push out some of the uh, less healthy foods. Okay, but so now to be clear, uh, I mean, and I know that you have not eaten meat in, you said, I think 23 years, right? Uh, yeah, as soon as uh, Dr. DeNornis published a study showing that our number one killer of heart disease is not only preventable, not only not only can we stop it in, their, in its tracks, but actually reversible, opening up arteries without surgery, without uh, drugs, just with a healthy diet and other lifestyle changes. So he used a plant-based diet. Subsequent research is also like Esselstyn used a plant-based diet. It's the only diet shown to reverse heart disease um, in the majority of people. And so uh, as far as I was concerned, when I read that in The Lancet, the most prestigious medical journal on the planet in 1990, I said, well, shouldn't that be the default diet until proven otherwise? And the fact that it also can uh, prevent stop and reverse diabetes and hypertension, obesity, some of these other chronic diseases, you know, on down the list. Well, then it was just overwhelming. And look, as a physician, um, uh, you know, I couldn't very well continue to, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, be a hypocrite and not follow the recommendations that I uh, tell my patients to follow. Well, but even on a plant-based diet, you still could 
you know, uh, indulge is not the right word, but you could still partake in animal proteins, couldn't you, if they're high quality? Well, look, I mean, you can do, I mean, again, it's, uh, look, it doesn't matter what you do on your birthday, on holidays, on New Year's, you know, it's the day-to-day stuff as you can smoke a cigarette on your birthday, and your body heals. And one of the most dramatic things I learned in medical school is that within eight years of smoking cessation, eight years of stopping smoking, your uh, your lifelong lung cancer risk approaches that of a lifelong non-smoker. Basically, it just takes eight years. You never quite reach that level, but you get very close. So within eight years, your body, your lungs can clear out all that tar, get rid of all that crap such that um, you're kind of almost back to where you started with, of course, if you don't get cancer before then. Um, but, I mean, that just shows that your body wants to be healthy. That, in fact, every day your body wanted to be healthy, but you kept, you know, you kept puffing away. And the same thing with diet. You know, if you walk and you, you know, smack your, you know, your your shin against something, it hurts, but it gets better. But what if you smacked your shin three times a day? It would never get better. It would continue to be inflamed and hurt, and your body would try to heal, but then you just injure it again. You go to your doctor, and your doctor says, oh, you have a swollen, painful shin. Here's some painkillers. Instead of saying, maybe you should stop whacking your shin. And that's what we do. We stab ourselves with a fork three times a day, and our body, you know, just, you know, tries to heal, tries to clear out our arteries, tries to, uh, you know, maintain homeostasis. But, uh, you know, if, if we keep working against it, but look, we have, you know, if we, if we eat, you know, cotton candy at the, uh, at the, at the, at the country fair every year, um, you know, our, you know, our pancreas might not be happy, but it gets back to baseline and can, you know, undo the damage. So again, day to day stuff that adds up. That's what I'm really, uh, most concerned about. Um, not, uh, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the outlier foods that one might get into one's diet. Okay, but so, so you're, you are basically saying that meat, uh, is akin to either physically injuring yourself or, uh, or, or sort of going against our body's natural homeostasis, right? So what, what's so bad about meat? Well, so, for example, I mean, just, you know, we have this sense that eating meat, you know, yeah, you know, a couple decades down the road might increase our risk of heart disease or something, but no, there's internal damage that happens within hours of, of consumption. So, so, um, so for example, um, we talked before about this endotoxemia, this, uh, basically we know for about 15 years now that uh, after consumption of meals containing animal products, we get this spike of inflammation in our bloodstream. Basically, our, um, we cut our ability of our arteries to relax in half within hours. Um, and then, uh, four, five, six hours later, that, um, kind of this crippling of our arteries starts to calm down, but then lunchtime we whack ours with another load of meat, eggs, or dairy, such that many of us are stuck in this chronic low-grade state of inflammation, increasing our risk of inflammatory diseases like heart disease, certain cancers, diabetes, one meal at a time. Same thing with our lungs. Um, uh, um, we actually uh, get inflammation in our lungs, which we can see, again, within hours of consumption. So, you know, you do these tests looking at arterial reactivity and this um, saturated fats um, uh, do damage to our arteries within hours of consumption, although it actually turns out it's not the saturated fats as we originally thought it was, but these so-called endotoxins, these uh, bacterial toxins present because animal parts are still kind of yeah, bacterial-laden that, uh, these, uh, that these bacterial toxins in the cell walls of these bacteria 
which are uh, which isn't destroyed by cooking, survives digesting, can then um, be ferried through the gut wall with actually the saturated fat, um, and uh, cause this kind of immediate inflammation um, within hours of consumption. So that's just one little piece, but there's all sorts of other things like oxidized cholesterol and things um, that uh, that you know can explain why those on eating you know plant-based diets have lower rates of these chronic diseases which are laying waste to our society. Okay, so and that's fair enough. So uh, my my I was I was talking with uh, my wife about this interview because she, you're actually uh, she reminded me that uh, the way I found out about you originally was about five years ago when she was doing her original yoga teacher training and a uh, nutritional counseling uh, certification, and you, you had come into her group to speak. And believe it or not, you were actually, I, I had completely forgotten this, but you were the impetus for me going completely vegan and then, or for a month and then vegetarian for a significant amount of time uh, once I started to work on healing my gut and working on anti-inflammation. However, I then did start to introduce uh, high-quality fish and eventually some meat. So am I doing myself a disservice? Because I, I feel better than ever. Well, the, I mean, the, I mean, the best. Uh, results in relapse prevention for Crohn's disease ever described um, were this uh, semi-vegetarian diet described in a video done in Japan. Um, and so this was, uh, and so the fact that uh, the diet was not strictly plant-based and could still see this remarkable, um, and so, I mean, two years out, I think the first year, 90% still in remission. Two years out, I forget, still the majority. I mean, uh, even drugs can't uh, typically do that. It was just a remarkable finding. And all they did was put people in the semi-vegetarian diet. I think they, they could eat, like, meat once every two weeks or something like that. Um, uh, but, I mean, but it shows it's not all black and white. Um, you know, there's a spectrum. And whether or not they would have done even better with uh, with the left animal protein uh, is an unanswered question. But certainly... Um, uh, that's a direction one may want to go um, for Crohn's disease specifically. Okay. And, and well, I mean, if it works for Crohn's disease, it should have some sort of effects and a lot of inflammatory conditions, I would imagine, like rheumatoid arthritis and, and, and maybe some others. Uh, yeah, I've got a lot of videos on rheumatoid arthritis, very successful in treating. Uh, in fact, in a variety of plant-based diets. So there's been studies on raw plant-based diets, uh, raw plant-based diets, um, uh, raw and cooked, even uh, this kind of Mediterranean-style, more kind of plant-centered but not necessarily vegetarian diets, um, are, uh, again, some of the most successful interventions in these inflammatory arthritis. Okay. So, I mean, and sort of, I mean, a little bit of what I'm taking from this, too, is that uh, you can include some of these other things in your diet, but what what seems to be an issue is that a lot of people might have meat or fish at the expense of having some of those really important fruits or vegetables that they do need and those leafy greens, right? I mean, that's probably fair to say. And that's, and your body compensates. I mean, your body, uh, you know, even unconsciously, your body compensates. Your body kind of knows how many calories to eat. And you say, well, obviously not. We have an epi- uh, you know, obesity epidemic. But if our daily caloric intake was off consistently in one direction 10% every day, just 10%, I mean, you know, we'd be, you know, like 6,000 pounds. And feel, I mean, it's just, it's remarkable how our body can regulate caloric intake um, and to get it pretty close. And so, you know, if you add a handful of nuts to one's diet, for example, which are very calorically dense, um, uh, what we see in studies is that even given no other instructions, people don't tend to 
gain weight. And you say, well, wait a second. He just added over weeks thousands of calories to people's diets. Why didn't they gain weight? Um, well, it's because uh, primarily because of uh, what's called the dietary compensation. Basically, you know, nuts are so filling um, that uh, they just, without thinking, eat less of other foods throughout the day, um, such that they kind of arrived at the, at the same kind of caloric intake by the end of the day. And so you eat one food, um, you add one food to your diet, you're almost by definition decreasing another food, and so that's why we should, um, you know, we should strive to eat the healthiest foods we can. And look, there's some, you know, fruits and vegetables that are healthier than others. Berries are better than bananas. Kale's better than cucumbers. I mean, this is not just, you know, like, yeah, as long as you, you know, are eating plants, you're okay. There's a lot of, obviously, plant-based junk food. But even in whole plants, there are better foods, there are less good foods, and we should strive to get the most nutrition we can. I, I think that's a very good approach. Uh, but, so, well, one of the questions I have then about that is, there are some nutrients, you know, micronutrients that, that are difficult or impossible to get from a plant-based diet. You know, I'm thinking of vitamin B12, vitamin D, iron. You know, so what, what are your ways of dealing with that? I mean, there's, well, there's only two. I mean, so, well, actually, so, iron, I guess you can get from leafy greens, right? Yeah, I mean, in fact, you get people that eat plant-based diets actually get a lot more iron, but it's a non-heme iron. But non-heme iron is preferable because your body can regulate its absorption. So, uh, whereas humine, the blood-based iron found in animal products, actually can kind of just slip through the gut wall, even if you have too much iron. And, and uh, some men have what's called hemochromatosis, is iron overload disease. Right. So, for them in particular, um, uh, humine is, you know, our body, if you were eating plant iron, couldn't say, oh, nope, we're fine on iron. Um, but, uh, unfortunately, humine just kind of slips right through. And iron's kind of double-edged sword, has a pro-oxidant capacity, et cetera. So, basically, we want to have... Low, as low as iron stores without hurting our um, our blood count, essentially, without becoming anemic. That's probably actually the uh, um, the ideal state in terms of uh, iron status because uh, iron intake is associated with diabetes and and certain cancers, all sorts of things. But um, uh, so and I mean, uh, people eating plant-based diets, vegetarians, vegans do not have higher rates of iron deficiency anemia than meat eaters. Um, uh, of course, that's not saying much, uh, but about one in uh, 20 uh, uh, menstruating uh, um, uh, women have, get, have iron deficiency anemia, which is very serious. And so even though it's not higher in vegans than it is in meat eaters, still something that needs to be treated if it's found. And so I encourage um, uh, uh, women of childbearing age to include vitamin C-rich foods with their meals, like citrus and tropical fruits and um, bell peppers, broccoli, that kind of thing, to um, boost the absorption of the iron that they um, uh, that they do get in their diet. So uh, iron's not an issue. The um, the uh, it's really only two things one can't get from plants. One's vitamin D, which is made by animals such as ourselves when we walk outside and get some midday sun at the right latitude. If, however, we're stuck inside all day or we live um, uh, up in Canada or um, uh, or for a variety of reasons, we need to get vitamin D, and this is for everybody, regardless of what they eat. Um, uh, and so you can get it through your diet, supplements, etc. And finally, vitamin B12, um, uh, not made by plants, not made by animals either, made by little microbes that blanket the earth, and we probably used to get all the B12 we needed from 
drinking out of a mountain stream or well water, but now we chlorinate our water supply to kill off any bacteria. We don't get a lot of B12 in our water anymore, but we don't get a lot of cholera. That's a good thing. Uh, but because of the way we live in our sanitized world, we need to get B12 from someplace, and so people eating healthy diets should ensure a regular, reliable source of B12, so that's B12 supplements or B12 fortified foods. Probably the easiest way is one 5,000 microgram tablet of uh, vitamin B12 once a week. Can't get too much. It's water soluble, costs about five bucks a year, and you are set for vitamin B12. Um, and in fact, um, on the video uh, today, October 23rd, um, I uh, have uh, um, just looked at. Um, I think 12,000 people, people eating meat, people not eating meat, just looking at their nutrient intakes, and almost without exception, those not eating meat had higher intakes of uh, nutrients across the board, which is what you'd expect, since that's where nutrition comes from, essentially, out of the ground, and then it's just further processed by animals. Yeah, so, yeah, and it's interesting to, to look at animals as sort of a, you know, we obvi obviously, I, I think most people can agree, or well, I, I would hope that most people would agree that avoiding processed food is a good thing, and you're looking at animals as sort of another level of processing, which I think is a, kind of an interesting way to frame this stuff. But that also brings up a, a really important point, which is how is how can people kind of maintain the diet you're talking about without spending a lot of money? Because you're really talking about a lot of fresh foods and sort of, you know, the whole foods are, they can be expensive, and you, you're not storing them necessarily, so... Actually, the, I mean, the healthiest foods are some of the cheapest foods. So canned beans, for example, legumes, chickpeas, flippies, lentils. These are some of the cheapest foods in the store. Sweet potato. I mean, in terms of cost, nutrition, kind of cost per nutrition, right, I kind of bang for your buck in terms of nutrition, the healthiest foods, like, you know, purple cabbage and, uh, and uh, I mean, these are the cheapest foods. And so I have a, a bunch of videos on my site. Actually, the USDA looked at this and found that um, uh, by calorie, um, they're um, uh, not necessarily a bargain, but that's not what we're concerned about. We don't have a calorie deficiency in this country. But if you look at nutrition per, at cost per weight or per serving, actually fruits and vegetables are cheaper than junk food and meat and dairy, etc. So the healthiest foods are actually um, the uh, can be the least expensive. Of course, um, you know, it depends where you where you get your produce, but... You know, you can get, uh, you know, if you look at my freezer, it's, you know, half uh, frozen greens, half frozen berries. Um, you know, I can I can make sprouts in my kitchen for pennies. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and you know, uh, I mean, so, you know, you don't have to go shopping all the time. You don't have to live near a farmer's market. You can eat healthy and cheap anywhere you are. Okay, well, you actually sort of led me to my next question then, uh, which is, is it okay to freeze this stuff? Does that hurt the, the nutrition? And, and you said you mentioned you have stuff in your freezer, so. No, well, in fact, the uh, sometimes frozen can actually be healthier than fresh because it's picked the day, often the day that it's picked, whereas so-called fresh produce may be sitting on a ship for a week um, or on the shelves, exposed to oxygen, exposed to light, losing nutrition kind of every step of the way. Now, having said that, the best, you know, is the best of both worlds, which is fresh, local. So, you know, right. so look, if you do have a local farmer's market, a community-supported agriculture, that's fantastic. That's really the best way to do it. But one should not um, uh, be, uh, you know, but uh, the, but there's no concern, uh, major concern, uh, nutrient-wise, um, in terms of freezing. It's actually a very, 
um, a very uh, kind of mild process. Okay, well, so then that sort of brings the next obvious question, too, for me, which is what is your preferred method of cooking? Um, or, or do you prefer raw? Yeah, no, no. Um, uh, no, I, I mean, I, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I have videos on, you know, cooking methods. It actually depends what foods and, um, but in general, uh, microwaving is a very um, uh, um, uh, kind of uh, gentle way. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, microwaving broccoli two minutes, for example, um, actually does destroy about 15% of vitamin C and some of the really kind of heat-sensitive um, nutrients like folate, but it's like 15%. So that means uh, if you like steamed broccoli but you don't like raw broccoli, well, if you ate six florets of microwave broccoli, um, you know, you get the same nutrition as your five parts of, of raw, but if you wouldn't eat any of the raw, then obviously, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, people have this sense of destroying nutrition, but it's just a really a small percentage, unless, of course, you really overdo it and, you know, cook it to mush or, you know, boil stuff and spill out the the, um, the cooking water. But uh, but in general, um, microwave is an excellent way. I mean, I do a lot of I don't know. I, I, you know, moist cooking is probably the best, um, as opposed to kind of broiling or barbecuing or grilling, which can produce even with plant foods some um, uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, stuff that probably isn't great for us. Like we shouldn't eat blackened food, whether it's blackened catfish or blackened tofu, and you really can't get those kind of temperatures if you're using some kind of moist method of cooking. Okay, that's interesting to hear that you're okay with microwaving, since most uh, a lot of people seem to be against it as a as a method. I mean, I I I think it's it's perfectly reasonable, to be honest. So, okay, that's this this is this is all really kind of eye-opening information for me. So, but let's let's uh, just really quickly kind of do a day in the life for you as far as eating. You know, and, and specifically, you when we spoke earlier, you mentioned the breakfast that you had this morning, which sounded absolutely mouthwatering. So if you oh, could bring that up again. And I, yeah, I should do like a, I don't know, some kind of, I should post recipes or something to the site. Um, uh, but no, no, so this morning, um, I don't know, uh, when is pomegranate season, which it is every fall, um, uh, I uh, do this uh, chocolate pomegranate pumpkin pudding kind of thing, which is basically to take a, pomegranate, cut it hemispherically, and then whack it with a wooden spoon, just kind of spit out all the seeds in a bowl very quickly. Um, and then I use some uh, unsweetened, so kind of Greek style. I use an almond milk-based yogurt, um, uh, and then add a big heaping tablespoon of cocoa powder um, and uh, some erythritol, this, uh, this, this kind of non-caloric sweetener, um, and then some pumpkin seeds, pistachio seeds, and maybe some... Um, some really kind of tart dried berry, like barberries or dried cherries or something. Um, and it's just this velvety pudding, wonderful. And every you get it, every crunch, you, know, you have this little explosion of the pomegranate juice, and it's just a great texture. And oh, it's like I don't know, it's dessert, but it's all good healthy stuff. Although uh, normally usually my breakfast is a green smoothie, just uh, you know blended up uh, dark green leafy vegetables with berries and other healthy things like um, green tea leaves. Um, just so I can, uh, you know, eat breakfast, drink breakfast on my treadmill, and not have to take time away from my work. And, and do an interview at the same time, probably. So that's that's that. <laughs> <laughs> ultimate time management. 
Okay, so uh, we're, this has all been really, really kind of fascinating for me. I, I, the last question that I always like to ask people on this podcast is, what are the top three personal productivity tips that you sort of live by that make you more effective every day? Uh, well, you know, I mean, the reason you know, people ask me all the time, how do you, you know, I, so I, you know, upload new video articles inside every day. How do you do it? And I, you know, my three secrets of productivity is uh, – uh, very understanding partner, no kids, and sleep deprivation. That's kind of my <laughs> holy trinity, not the healthiest, perhaps. But in general, uh, you know, delegation, anything we can do to uh, delegate work that uh, doesn't fit the criteria of being something that we love and we're good at and is good for the world, um, can be shunted off to other folks. I work at home, so I have total control of my environment, total control over distractions and interruptions, no commuting. And uh you know, just little tips and tricks like that to uh keep myself uh you know, head to the grindstone. Great. Well I think those are really, really wonderful uh tips and the information that you provided has been really eye opening and, and really fascinating for me. Oh, you know what, actually I'm sorry, there is one more question that I did want to just end with, uh that I, I forgot to ask this. So Doctors, and I hate to generalize here, but it seems that there is a sort of lack of knowledge among the the established medical community as far as how nutrition affects various conditions. Is that fair enough to say? Yeah, and there's good science to support that. In fact, one of my favorite studies published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, a head-to-head uh, kind of test, doctors versus patients, in a simple, like, uh, 10 true false questions, basic nutrition knowledge, guess who won? The patients, people off the street know, may know more nutrition than their doctors, yet people continue to go over to doctors for healthy eating advice, and what their doctors is telling them may be killing them. Until doctors learn more about nutrition, you know, they're advising you about your diet may be, you know, physician-assisted suicide. Yeah, okay. Well, I think that that sort of summed it up. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so, Dr. Michael Greger, tell everybody the URL where they can find out everything they want to know about you. Nutritionfacts.org. Um, uh, everything on the website is free, no ads, strictly non-commercial, not selling anything. Just put it up as a public service. New videos and articles every day on the latest nutritional science, nutritionfacts.org. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for all that great information, and uh, I hope that, uh, to talk to you more in the future. Happy to help out. Keep up the good work. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast with Ari Mizell. For more ways to make everything in your life easier, head over to lessdoing.com and also on Twitter at twitter.com slash Ari Mizell or Facebook at facebook.com slash lessdoing. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to head over to iTunes and leave a positive review. It's greatly appreciated. You can learn the art of less doing, getting started with biohacking, and how to make Gmail, IFTTT, and virtual assistants your ultimate productivity toolbox at udemy.com slash less doing. Until next time, keep optimizing, automating, and outsourcing everything you do.